Okay, so we're welcoming everyone to what I believe is episode six of our still feels very new, but is coming on to middle age um, BFJN podcast. Let's talk faith and justice. We are so excited to have our friend Maura here with us. And I'll just say few quick things about her and we're going to let her introduce herself. But um, Maura has been a friend and supporter of BFJN for longer than I've been around. Um, she was a member of the board that hired me. So if you feel like that wasn't a great decision, you can talk to Maura um, almost 10 years ago. And she has sat on our board for many years. She's, um, can we call you like a board member emeritus? I feel like, let's do that. Let's keep you really connected. Um, but she's been a really great resource for so many things. She sat on um, a panel that we did around um, ethics and simple living and has just been a, a tremendous resource for us over the many years. So we're really excited to share her with our wider community um, for her to talk about her work and herself and all of the wonderful things that are Mora. So that's my brief introduction. Thanks, Elizabeth. Glad to be here today, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Ivy, do you want to go with the first question? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Just completely went over my head. So if you could introduce yourself and tell us, um, we've been using a, a general icebreaker over the past few episodes of what posters you had on your wall as a kid or a teen and why. Ooh, that's a great question. So, well, I'll start out quickly. Um, like Elizabeth said, my name is Mara Hodge and i um, I am an auditor, which is how I usually introduce myself, but I work around um, environmental, social, and governance issues and, and helping companies report on that information. And so maybe in line with kind of what sounds to be a bit of a boring job, I don't think that I had very many posters on my wall when I was growing up. I had... Um, but the one thing that I did do when I moved into uh, my room in the basement of our house in sixth grade, um, I had a very small bathroom that had white walls in it. And so my parents let us um, draw on those walls. And so we had a lot of kind of quotes from stuff that was happening in school, random pictures that people would draw as friends came over. We just kind of covered the walls with all sorts of um, different things that, <laughs> that just felt right in the moment. And so, um, it's since all been painted over and, and taken away, but I would say that was probably the most, uh, the only thing that I really had on my walls growing up. That's I, awesome. I feel like, sorry, Elizabeth, to cut you off and, and jump in, but there has been many people that have shared, like they didn't really have anything on their wall. And so I, I thought that's where you had started to go. And I was like, okay, maybe we need to change our icebreaker question. But I just love that. And as a woman who's, you know, preparing for marriage and doesn't yet have kids, I'm like, that's a great idea to just allow a, a young person to express themselves. And, you know, coloring on the wall is something that you typically not allow your child to do. So I love that. Thanks. Yeah. And it just reminded me too, I think part of the reason I didn't have anything on my walls was because I actually had like wood paneling and um, pa panel that was like peach that covered half of the wood paneling. Mm -hmm. so <laughs> it was, it was quite the style. That sounds lovely. <laughs> I love the, um, like Ivy said, like we have been, some people are like, I don't have any posters, but then there's like this other thing, right. That I feel like gets at the whole point of the icebreaker as well. So it's kind of fun. But you made me think when I moved into, we switched rooms a lot and I had three sisters. And um, when I moved into one room, my parents let me 
paint the wall with like rainbow paint, they regretted it. Like as soon as I had to move out and we rotated again, cause like you had to like scrape it off, but same thing. I felt very like privileged to be able to express myself with like all these colors. I am not an artist. So it looked horrible. It was just like splatters. And anyway, so it's more, it's more parenting possibilities. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're love having you here and there's so many different things we could talk about. I'm just thinking the last time you and I met, there was like probably 15 topics we could dive into, but obviously we'd love to hear more about your work and a little bit of your story that kind of led you to where you are. Sure. So, um, in terms of where I started, um, I went to the university of South Carolina for college and, um, <clears throat> I had to choose my major in 2002 and I had really no idea what I wanted to do. In my mind, I thought I want to study international business and travel around the world and meet famous people and, and important people. And that that's going to be my life. I'm never getting married. I'm never having kids. Like this is just where I'm going. And, um, when it came time to, to choose my major, I realized that South Carolina actually didn't have an undergraduate international business major, which posed a problem. So as I was thinking and ruminating on you know, what my move would be, um, I was sitting in my car listening to NPR and a story came on about the Enron scandal and how the collapse of that company and the collapse of um, Arthur Anderson around it impacted the lives and the pensions of so many people um, that that were either invested in the company or or working for it. And what I said as I was sitting in my car, I thought, I never want that to happen again. I'm going to become an auditor. And so I chose accounting as my major and went through college um, with that in mind. But my senior year, I had a strategy professor who introduced me to the concept of corporate social responsibility. And so, you know, in line with this idea that I wanted to protect the capital markets and protect people who were investing in companies, um, I also realized that companies control so much of the natural and human capital and resources in the world. And if they could just shift their behaviors and their actions by like a tenth of a degree, it would make such an impact on all of the people around. And so, those two things really led me to the career that I have today. I started out in audit, um, worked on financial statements and financial reporting, and then in 2010, had the opportunity to help start up our sustainability practice. So at the time, there was more of a focus on climate change, but it was 2010 in the US, and that was not a, a term that anybody actually wanted to recognize or believe that was happening. And so we fast forward now 13 years later, and it's kind of on TV everywhere, every company is making a commitment uh, about going net zero or reducing their impact on climate change. And um, obviously, you know, with the um, <clears throat> on the social side of things, you know, around climate in particular, we talk about a just transition. So an acknowledgement, we need to address climate change, but that climate change is impacting some of the most vulnerable populations around the world. And so how do we make sure that they are being taken care of in this process? And then also on other you know, social issues like diversity, equity, and inclusion, and labor in the supply chain, kind of all of these different issues I get to think about and talk about every day and help companies think about what their actions are in those areas, and then mm -hmm. ultimately report on them to the public. Wow, that's so interesting. Thank you for explaining that. Like, 
chronologically, I love hearing too about those like moments of your call. Like when you felt like something tug at you, like we talk about that a lot in some of the different programs we do, like what tugs at your heart and that you listen to that and then kind of made another pivot when something else like, um, struck you. And I think that's just really cool. And I love thinking about you doing what you're doing. And like, you're saying, like, if we could just move things like just a, a degree or a 10th of a degree, what a difference it would make. And I'm just wondering, can you share any like examples of stuff you've seen, like kind of that difference um, happening? Yeah. Well, one of the things that I would um, highlight in terms of the work that I do and the companies that I work with is that, you know, we're trying to shift that 10th of a degree, but it also the economics around it also still have to work because in the end, companies are responsible to their shareholders, right? We talked about the Enron collapse and this idea that all these people lost a ton of money. We have our money and our long-term livelihoods invested in 401ks and pension assets and things like that. And if these companies are not continuing to operate and sustainably grow over time, we don't get that money back in 10, 15, 20, 30 years when we're trying to um, you know, take it out and to live on it. And so when we when I approach my work, right, it's always about what's that balance between how do we make the shift and make an appropriate impact, but also recognize that there's still um, economic benefit um, that needs to be generated. And so we've seen a shift in the way that we talk about it, right? So a business's responsibility is not only to the shareholder anymore, but it's also to us as stakeholders. And um, you know, you and I as consumers are stakeholders in the company, but also the people who are working at the factories or at the manufacturing plants or at the distribution centers are stakeholders as employees are part of the supply chain. And investors continue to be stakeholders. And kind of over top all of that, we have the regulations and the, and the regulators that are really trying to help, um, you know, push and guide in a particular way, but also, um, you know, force companies to be more transparent about what they are actually doing, because it's really easy to kind of do your work behind the curtain and, and not necessarily share maybe the negative things that are happening, but also the positive things are happening in, in a fair and a balanced way. So in terms of you know what what we're regularly seeing and really talking about right now is a lot about climate risk and how do companies think about that risk to their company um, and and to their business and how do they adjust and, and mitigate for that? So one of the biggest things that we look at is uh, physical risks. So you know acute weather events like wildfires or hurricanes or flooding which is occurring more and more often now, given um, you know, global temperatures are rising and, and climates are changing around the world. And you know, we saw in COVID the impact of COVID on the supply chain and us not being mm -hmm. able to get toilet paper or not being able to get you know, um, chips for our cars and electronics and things like that. Um, and so we're really working a lot with companies right now to think about, okay, where are you actually operating? what is the risk of one of these severe weather events or chronic weather events like sea level rise, which you know may end up putting part of your um, operations underwater? Mm. How is that going to impact you? And what can you be doing today to help mitigate that? Mm. First of all, helping to decarbonize. So decarbonize your operations and stop putting as much greenhouse gas emissions in the atmosphere. 
But then secondly, you know, thinking about where and if you need to move those operations or shore them up or, or sort of build more infrastructure um, in the local community to help to prevent that. So that's, I think, one example of what we're doing today. That's, I really appreciate you sharing all of that. And at the beginning, you mentioned, you know, as you introduce yourself as an auditor, it seems like it could be boring work, but I'm very fascinated by the work that you do. It doesn't seem boring, at least to me at all. Um, But can you explain or share with us, how do you see your faith informing or connecting to the work that you do? Yeah, I think it's a huge driver of what I do. I mean, um, Elizabeth had mentioned previously about feeling my call. And um, I think that the profession that I'm in was absolutely a calling, but um, I think it was probably 2012, 2011, maybe right before I had my son and went out on my first maternity leave, I was really wrestling with, you know, what, what decisions do I make? You know, do I stay in this profession? Do I leave? Um, There were pieces of me that sort of said, do I really want to be working this many hours and kind of, you know, feeling like I'm maybe I am kind of moving the needle a little bit, but like it's in such a broad um, spectrum and like on such a broad stage. And I don't know that I feel the impact that I'm actually making. So do I want to move to a nonprofit? Do I want to move to something where, you know, it's more local and community-based? Um, and I really wrestled with with God on that for for quite a bit of time, but He made it very clear that you know I should stay in the profession that I'm in. I kept getting opportunities um, to to do more of what I wanted to do and like what I was interested in around the environmental and the social issues, which I felt was a huge privilege and a huge blessing. And kind of every step of the way, God was just like leading me, I think, to to where I am today. And so, you know, my faith certainly informs um, the decisions that I make, both on a broader scale in how, you know, I work with my clients and, um, you know, build out the programs that we do at work, but also just on a one-on-one basis um, with my team and how I interact with them. And then what I always like to say is that I'm really trying to make sure that, you know, my professional and my personal life are integrated and really moving in the same direction. And so have had a number of opportunities to do some really cool things this past year. Um, We helped resettle an Afghan refugee family um, over this past year. We hosted a Ukrainian physician who came to study lung transplants at MGH, and they just successfully finished their first lung transplant in Ukraine um, last month. And um, we are in the process right now of adopting a little boy out of foster care. So kind of having that um, local personal impact, but also, you know, the broader um, global impact too. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, I appreciate that sort of walk through like the professional impact of your faith, but then like drawing it back because for, for a lot of us, like what we're doing, we do feel it's a call and it's a vocation, right? But there's that piece of how do we align our personal lives? Like to the danger, I think of having that wall, like, oh, okay. Like at my job, I'm living out my faith. And then this isn't so connected. And I appreciate that calling attention to the ways in which we connect it. And I'm wondering if you have and, and Ivy, this is a question you can answer too. Uh, I'm just thinking about like, just us as, as women of faith who, you know, have, again, do it working in our vocations, like 
things that we've found either helpful or particularly challenging um, when we're trying to make that connection, like you're talking about, like, for example, for me, sometimes um, when I'm so concerned about like, um, we were just talking about simple living Maura, and some, some of the um, trappings that come with the, the holidays and how to how, finding that balance between like, okay, I really don't want my kids to have a hundred plastic Easter eggs and get 52 presents, but I also want to maintain like joy and family. Um, and I think as a, as a parent and just as a person of faith, I'm always looking for how to, how are other people doing that? Like, how are we integrating and not um, going crazy around it? I don't know if that's like too broad, but that's just something that what you were saying made me think of. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I would say that, you know, part of one of the things, one of the podcasts that I've been listening to recently is just thinking about how do we, um, prevent entitlement in, in our kids, you know, in the profession that I'm in, um, I certainly make a lot of money, right? I think that is one kind of blessing that God's given me in terms of, not only my calling being, you know, aligned with where um, I think he wants me to go and how I can enact justice in the world, but also is relatively lucrative. And so how do I talk about that? Excuse me, talk about money with my kids um, and talk about gratitude with them and help them kind of put it all into perspective. And um, because that's not I actually, as I was growing up, um, I wouldn't say that I was poor, but we certainly weren't very well off. And I know my parents made a lot of sacrifices for me to go to the high school that I went to and really just to to live the lives that we did. And so um, definitely coming from a, a different background, like I, I did work studying clean toilets in high school to be able to afford my tuition um, for, for that. And so, you know, my kids aren't having those experiences. And so how do we, um, how do we talk about that? How do we give them the experiences to sort of see different parts of the world? And so one of the big decisions that we made was to stay in Boston and to have them go to a Boston public school and really engage with the community and make sure that we had friends kind of from all different backgrounds and um, socioeconomic um, situations. And so um, that's, I think, one piece of it. And then another piece is staying really close to my family and my parents and kind of where I grew up and, and sort of understanding what that looks like um, and how different it is from, you know, what we what we could have. Um, but then really just bringing it back to that gratitude and sort of in our prayers every night and um, saying grace every day, like, just a reminder of all that that God's given us um, and has blessed us with, and then how we need to be a blessing to the people around us with that. I appreciate that answer, and you, you know, encapsulated, you know, living gratefully and living generously. And as I was thinking about Elizabeth's question, you know, I for me, as I've grown, you know, in my relationship with God and also being a part of faith-based organizations, like when I introduce myself and say that, you know, I work for Boston Faith and Justice Network, like faith and justice is not just my work, but it's where my life intersects. And so I'm really blessed as well to have that overlap of, you know, personal and professional and that I can do, you know, both and that they're both very important to me. Um, 
And I think having the understanding of, you know, different socioeconomic classes and, you know, not to say that I grew up wealthy, but I didn't have to worry about certain things. And and my grandparents, you know, were able to provide for, you know, not only their children, but their their grandchildren, allowing us to get through college and things like that. But also in, you know, the populations that I work with in the city of Boston, you know, knowing that, you know, college is something that's not sometimes thought about or even think that it can be attainable due to finances. And, you know, I think one of the beautiful things about my, you know, relationship and marriage soon to be um, is that, you know, my fiance and I come from two different, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds. And so being able to, you know, share some of both sides of that. And I've also seen the abuse of power or money, you know, in, in my family as well and how that can play out. Um, and so I appreciate having both of those lenses and, you know, also the Lazarus at the Gate program at BFJN that we offer really opened my eyes as well. And, you know, making smaller, you know, whether it's like you say about plastic bottles and, and things like that, but also one of the things that I recognized was in like gas mileage and prices, you know, of those types of things. And so the biggest change for me over the past, you know, year or so was, you know, being intentional about, you know, the car that I was driving and that I didn't need, you know, all the bells and whistles or what have you, um, and deciding to get a hybrid vehicle. Um, and that was something, you know, back in, you know, a few years ago, I would have never thought about that just because I, I grew up in like a car family and I loved cars and all of these, you know, fancy things in terms of cars, but then that's not important to me anymore, especially as I understand, you know, our footprint on the earth, um, and how we are to be good stewards over the earth. So, yeah, thank you for asking that question, Elizabeth. Yeah. Thank you guys for answering it. It's so it's one of those things where I'm like, this is something I just, I want to keep gathering wisdom about because first of all, it helps me to understand like, okay, we're all who understand that faith and justice need to be linked, working this out in our lives. And it's like, I'm sure other people are doing it better than me or not better than me, but like have found ways to, um, to rise to these challenges. So I just think it's helpful to like bring that into open spaces and be like, how can we support each other? Cause this is hard. This is hard stuff. So yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, I mean, I think that's all we had for you, Maura, in terms of like wanting to share about all of the, well, not all of the, a few of the things. And again, I feel like we could like have follow-ups and talk about a couple different things, but we don't want to take all of your time this morning. So I just want to thank you for sharing, especially about your work, because I do feel like Ivy said, like when you use the word auditor, like I could see people's eyes would glaze over and then you share about what you're doing. And it's just, um, to me, it's really encouraging to hear about people, um, especially, you know, Christian women in particular, um, who are, who are living out their calling and making these, this impact on a world, because sometimes it's just, all I see is the dumpster fire that is the world. And so I really appreciate the stories of people who are like, no, listen, this is this one small way, like we're moving in the right direction. So, um, just for that encouragement, I really, really appreciate it. And for all of the other stuff that you bring. Yeah. Thanks Elizabeth and Ivy. Thanks for having me. And I think the thing that I would leave the um the listeners with and in terms of what i do is that to your point ivy like we vote with our dollars <clears throat> and and how where we spend our money and what we spend our money on right and it may be a little bit more expensive to buy the hybrid or to buy the electric car and it may be a little bit inconvenient but 
like I said, the economics have to work out for companies to make these big shifts. And there's a bit of investment on their side, but but the reality is, is like consumers and customers have to follow along. And so being really thoughtful about your choices and maybe not buying all of those plastic Easter eggs and candy and toys and games for Christmas, but maybe saving that up a little bit for kind of the incremental cost it, it might be to buy the, um, you know, better made dress or, you know, the the electric car um, might be the right choice in the long term, because I think we only really shift how much things change when we shift our own purchasing behaviors and the way that we think about the world. And so, um, yeah, definitely do your research. I know we're all time strapped and that's one of the, the hardest things, but we do see, and I am seeing that a lot of the largest companies in the world are moving in a better direction because of the pressure from investors and from their customers. And I think we need to continue to, to keep that on so that we um, see the progress that we need to see made. Yeah, that is awesome. Thank you for that final reminder. I think just making that connection, the economic relationships we enter into and how can we use our our dollars and our time to to vote for these things that we really value. Um, and I think that those are resources that BFJN is constantly trying to update, like particularly on our website and in our social media, like, because like you said, we know this is hard. Like you can't police everything in your, I mean, you probably could, I shouldn't say that, but it would be very difficult to police everything in your supply chain. So like the first thing, right, is if we're living more simply, then we have less things to research. Um, but then just this idea of picking one or two things and being like, how can I be more ethical um, and align this in better with my faith in this particular purchase? And then it becomes something that's just, um, I think, self-sustaining. The more that I do that, the more I want to do it because I recognize even if only I'm doing it, it's not going to make a difference. But to live in such a way that if everyone lived the way I do, then the world would be a better place. Amen. Yeah. All right. Any last words, Ivy? I don't have, the only thing that I wanted to say is, you know, that I, I appreciate you being here more, but I appreciate the work that you do. And even if it's moving the needle a little bit, it, it's changing the world. Uh, so you are a world changer and I just want you to know. That. Thank you, Ivy. Thanks yeah, ladies. Definitely. We appreciate so much what you do with BFJN and it's so excited to see it continue to grow and to thrive. And um, thank you for all your work. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much.